Well, for those of you who hate baseball, I'm sorry. (laughs) For those of you who love it, you're welcome. And uh, for those of you who are Dodgers fans, congratulations. So uh, if you've never seen that movie, it's called The Field of Dreams. It's an American classic, and it reminds me of my childhood playing baseball in a field. Not that different from, from that one in the movie. But there is uh, this thing that happens in October. We take a turn for colder weather, and we finish up the baseball season with the World Series. And in that, in that scene, Ray, who's played by Kevin Costner, he's trying to wrestle with a financial decision. But his decision is about so much more than money. And James Earl Jones there, who plays a poet, who, by the way, has the greatest voice ever, <laughs> When I pray and I actually hear God speak, he sounds a little bit like James Earl Jones. (laughs) He says something that you may have stumbled over in the clip, but that I find so profound. He said these words. He said, they will part with their money because it's money they have, but it's peace they lack. And that sentiment that's reflected in his words, that's reflected in Ray's struggle to decide what to do with this farm and this field It's a great precursor for the series that we're beginning today, and the series is called Money Talks, a different kind of money series. We're starting a conversation today that'll take us all the way through Thanksgiving about money. Now, one thing I know is that some of you walked in this morning, and you saw the bulletin, and you go, oh, crap. It's a money series. He's he's coming for me, and so you kind of grabbed your wallet a little bit tighter, (laughs) and you said, a different kind of money series, and this is just going to be about tithing more. And so today, I want to start by talking to you about the heart behind this series. Here's the real challenge that we face. Many of us, on a daily basis, go to bed and wake up, and all throughout the day, deal with stress and anxiety related to money. Many of you, if you've been divorced, know that money was a part of that rift and that disillusion. Many of us live with an oppressive sense because of the debt that we're in. The Bible has over 2,000 verses about money, not because God needs your money. No, he's got more than he'll ever need. He knows that our biggest barrier to him is often our money. And I know that you'd probably rather me give a series on sex than on money. It's that awkward for us to talk about. I'm so glad I said that right, because in my run through, I said, you'd so much rather have sex than hear me talk on money. And that was just really weird. And so I'm glad I got that out correctly. See, money is a difficult topic, but here's what I've, here's what I've learned. And here's what my heartbeat is for you. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. And I want you to find the freedom that Jesus gave his life for, especially when it comes to money. The other thing I know is that a series is coming at Christmas time. And last year we did a series called The Advent Conspiracy. And we asked the question, can Christmas still change the world? Because we know that many times the, the financial plans and the, the goals and the values we have, they erode during the holidays. That we end up so indebted that we're still paying off Christmas while we celebrate Easter. Many of us struggle with our finances, most especially during the holidays. And so I saw somebody this week wrapping Christmas presents. And for you, I salute you. that You're two months ahead. 
But as we start heading even towards that holiday, we wanted to step back and say, how can we do this well? In John 10.10, Jesus said these words, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it abundantly. And that's really the heartbeat of the series. We want you to discover the abundance that Jesus came for you to discover. Even if your financial worth and value don't change, we want you to experience that kind of abundance. And that's why the subtitle of this series is A Different Kind of Money Series. And so today, I'm not going to do my best impression of Dave Ramsey. We're not going to start with really practical nets and bolts today. We're going to step a little bit back. Because what you may know, I just shared it with you a little while ago, is that often it's cited that money is the leading cause of divorce in America. And that's, that's only partially true. Money is often the cause of our relational conflict. But if you've been ever in a relationship fight like I have, you've had one of those moments where you asked yourself, are we really fighting about this or is this about something deeper? Are we really fighting about where to squeeze the toothpaste tube from? Or is something else going on here? Are we really fighting over this $5 purchase or is something else going on here? Are we really having a fight over what direction we put the plates or what direction we roll the toilet paper out? Are we really fighting over these things right now? And a couple years ago at Christmas time, before we had kids, my wife and I ended up in one of those moments. It was a a really stressful Christmas year. I worked at a church at that time, and it's often stressful at church at Christmas time. There's a lot going on. I was also working at Starbucks, where our customers were just happy and kind and joyful, and they just treated us so well. Oh, you're getting the sarcasm in my voice. I'm glad. My wife was serving as a domestic violence prosecutor, and she'd been on call the previous week, and she'd had three homicides in five days. She'd gone to the scene and the autopsies. It was a really grisly, grisly time. We had three jobs, and we were sharing one car because we were trying to pay off our credit card debt, and there was stress and angst. And so we're at home on Christmas Eve. I'm in the bedroom trying to put on my suit that I wear at Christmas time, trying to tie my tie, which I haven't tied since Easter, and so I have my computer out with YouTube open, how to tie a tie, and (laughs) I'm trying to get it right. And I hear a commotion in the other room and I go in there and my wife has, has sat down on the couch and she's crying because her dress won't fit right. And I am a stupid husband sometimes. I'm a stupid husband a lot of the time. But as I sat down next to her, I began to realize, I think this is about more than the dress. And as we talked later that night, we reminded each other of a principle we had heard in a sermon years before. It was this idea that this is about that. And that night, this was the dress, and that was everything else that had gone on leading up to Christmas. And while she was crying over the way the dress didn't fit the way it had when she bought it in the store. The that was everything else we had been dealing with and all of her angst that she wasn't going to celebrate Christmas the way she wanted to that year. And my belief is that for many of you, the this that you feel stress and anxiety and frustration over when it comes to your money, the this that's your fight that you're having or you recently had with a loved one over money, It isn't just about this, the money. It's often about that. It's often about other things 
and deeper things. And that's where we're going to begin this conversation today. Our big idea this morning is this, that real change begins in our lives when we invite God into the issues behind our money issues. Real lasting change happens in our lives when we invite God into the issues behind our money issues. Not just how much we have or don't have, how much we want to have or used to have, but the issues that are impacting our money. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to share with you four truths about our hidden issues, our issues behind our money issues. And if you have your hand, I'd encourage you to pull it out and follow along with us this morning. The first truth I've discovered about our hidden issues is that the same issues are often present in riches and poverty. The same issues are often present in riches and in poverty. Some of you might say this morning, Scott, that's awesome that you're talking about all these deeper issues, but my issue is I literally don't have enough. I don't have enough to make ends meet. I don't have enough to pay the bills. I don't have enough to secure a place to cover my head. I don't have enough. And that may be true, but here's my greatest fear as a pastor in your life. My greatest fear is that you get more than you have right now and you still have the same issues. My greatest fear is that God would bless you with more than you have right now and you would get more and still be in the same place. See, after pastoring for nearly 15 years and working with people that are what my friends call private jet rich and people who have nowhere to lay their head, here's what I've discovered Both scarcity and abundance can distract us from God. Both scarcity and abundance can distract us from God. Both can be barriers to what God wants to do in our lives. In the book of Proverbs chapter 30, this is what the writer says. Can you advance the slide for me real quick? In Proverbs 30, he says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You see, this writing, nearly 3,000 years old, reminds us that we can have nothing And we can have everything and still struggle to connect with God. We can be full and deny that God is even real. And we can have nothing and profane God's name because he isn't providing for us in the way that we want. And many of us who are living in scarcity believe that if God would just provide us with abundance, then we would trust him and follow him and praise him. And the truth is many of us know people who have abundance and they're not praising him. They're still stressed out and anxious about losing it. This quote I'm going to read to you speaks to those struggles. It says, the world says you have needs, so satisfy them. You have much right as the rich and the mighty. Don't hesitate to satisfy your needs indeed. Expand your needs and demand more. This is the worldly doctrine of today, and they believe that this is freedom. The result for the rich is isolation and suicide for the poor, envy, and murder. 
you'd read this and think that it was written today. But it's not. It was written in 1880 in a really thick book called The Brothers Karamazov. 140 years ago. In another place. And they were still struggling with the same thing. So as we begin today, the, the hidden truth is that you may get more than you have right now or you may end up with less and then you may be surprised to discover the same problems remain. The second truth about our hidden issues is this, is that whatever we love shapes our hearts. Whatever we love shapes our hearts. One of the most well-known verses of the Bible comes from 1 Timothy 6.10, which says, For the love of money is a root, notice it doesn't say the root, a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Later on, Jesus says these words, I tell you, don't be anxious about anything, what you eat or what you drink, nor about your body, what you will put, try to read really fast before it goes away. (laughs) What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. See, what what really is expressed here is this idea is that what is consuming us will be revealed in what makes us anxious or what makes us worrisome. In his book, You Are What You Love, James K.A. Smith says, you are shaped by what you love. And the things that we love and we give our love to end up in reverse shaping us back. They end up adjusting us. They end up changing us. And if you love sports, I'll tell you that you will shape your life based upon the presence of those sports. When they happen, when they don't happen, how your team is doing, how they're not doing. I remember I went to college with a couple guys and they, um, I'm just going to turn this off right here so it's less distracting. Or not. I can't even turn it off. Man, I'm killing it today. I, uh, I went to college with a couple guys who played golf, and they had a little sign next to their door, and it would say, uh, how I did today, and one side was good, and one side was terrible, and they'd walk in from the course, and they'd adjust the sign by the door, and if it was good, they'd talk to you, and if it wasn't, they wouldn't talk to you. They were being shaped by what they love. Some of you love your job. And it shapes you. Some of you love your kids, and that that shapes and molds your entire life. We know this is true, but it also applies to our money. And that's really at the heart of that famous story about the rich young man in Matthew 19, who I really feel compassion for, because this man gets defined by one conversation. You ever notice that in the Bible? Like the woman at the well. She was at other places even that day. But for 2,000 years, we know her as the woman at the well, you know? And this man, this rich young man in Matthew 16, he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And they have a conversation about what he must do. And he says, I've done all those things, Jesus. And finally, Jesus says, well, take what you have, sell it, give your money to the poor and come follow me. And in Matthew 19, 22, it says that the man went away sad because he had many possessions. And the challenge was that he had great possessions, but great possessions had him too because he loved them. And that love was shaping him. And if you want to know who you are, 
You are shaped by your loves. And when you love money, that love shapes you. The third truth I've learned about our hidden issues is that our definition of freedom reveals the object of our worship. And so how we define and look at what freedom means, that gives us an idea of who and what we are worshiping. In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Jesus himself said, If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Freedom is at the heart of what Jesus came to do for us. But many of us, when it comes to our money, we define freedom not by God, but in terms of money. I've shared with you before that when I got married, I had a huge problem with credit card debt. I was spending money to buy things, like James Earl Jones said, that would bring me peace. And whenever I felt uneasy or whenever I felt stressed or whenever I felt anxious, I would go and buy something to try to satisfy that thing. I was looking to money to bring me peace. And my idea of freedom financially ultimately came this idea, I want to get to the place where I have enough money that I can buy those things when I want them with the money I have. But that definition of freedom did not require God in any way. And what I discovered is that in that place, I was looking to money, not to God for freedom. See, when money is God, freedom is being able to do whatever we want, whenever we want. Many of us, our definition of financial freedom is this simple. I want to get enough money to be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want. And that's an okay definition of freedom. The only problem is, is it doesn't actually involve God. And it means that money can deliver you freedom. And what that means is that functionally, money's God. Money is the source of freedom. And if your goal is one day to get to the place where you can do whatever you want, wherever you want, you could get there and find that God is not there. Because you were looking to something or someone other than God for freedom. See, when God is God, freedom is letting go of our desire to control and trusting God to guide and provide. When Christ is God, freedom is letting go of your white knuckling of control and it's trusting God to guide. It's trusting God to provide. And here's the thing, you can be free in scarcity. And you can be free in abundance because freedom doesn't have to do with how much money you have. Freedom has to do with God. And the challenge is for many of us, even those of us who say that we worship God, functionally money is serving as a replacement for God. Tim Keller defines an idol or a small God as anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. And the challenge is, is that money fits that definition really well for us. Money for many of us is more important than God. Money absorbs our heart and imagination more than God. And money is the thing we seek to give us what only God can give. 
Money is the thing that we think about when we lay our head on the pillow at night. Money is the thing we think about when we wake up in the morning. And money is the thing that if we could just work out, we tell ourselves we'd be okay. And the challenge is is that we're looking to money for freedom. When money can't deliver freedom, only God can. And this is why we're starting with this idea that real change begins when we invite God into the issues behind our money issues. Because my great fear is that many of us will end up with more than we have right now. And it will mean less and less and less until we get this stuff right. The fourth and last truth I want to share with you is that worry, anxiety, and control lead us to the issues behind our money issues. Worry, anxiety, and control. If you want to know what the issues behind your money issues are, study the places where you're worrisome, where you're anxious, where you struggle with control. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Some of us have an experience on a daily basis that is the expression of this. You tell yourself that you have a terrible memory. Some of you go, man, I can't remember anything. I have to write everything down. But there is one moment throughout the day where you have a photographic memory, where you can remember everything. And it's the moment your head hits the pillow. You lay down, and instantly your brain recalls your worst moments, your stupidest moments, all the things you didn't do, all the things you have yet to do, every worry and anxiety you have invades your brain in this moment. And this is a powerful moment because what it does is it reveals the issues behind your issues. It reveals the true things that are going on inside your heart. And while you might be tempted to numb out this feeling that you get right here, I would encourage you to resist that temptation. Because those things, those worries, those anxieties, those fears and struggle for control, they are in fact breadcrumbs. And if you follow them, they will lead you to the place that God wants to work in your heart. They will lead you to the place that God wants to change and transform. They will actually lead you to the place that is the end of where you've allowed God to go in your life. There's this song we sing sometimes at church called Oceans. And it's a scary song. Not because I'm afraid of the ocean, but because the words are scary. The words of that song says, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. But here's the thing. My trust in God has a border. And it's those places where I worry, where I'm anxious, where I want to hold on to control. And what I've learned is that my trust in God ends where my fear to surrender control begins. So I trust God, and I trust God, and I trust God, and mm, don't trust him anymore. 
Because on the other side of that is the place where I want to be in control. It's the place I'm still white-knuckling life. It's the thing I'm still holding on to. And my trust in God ends where my fear of surrendering control begins. And for many of us, that's a financial place. That's a place with our money. And that's why we're beginning here. Because I can start talking to you about spending and saving and giving and investing and retiring and all of these important things. But if you don't get this right, if you don't get the heart right, everything else will be off. Because this is really about that. When I was growing up, I learned a, a memory verse and, and it was applied to dating, which is really just limiting. This verse from Proverbs 4, which says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. In the New Living, it says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. See, we're beginning by talking about the heart. Because if we can get the heart right, if we can get the issue behind the issues right, if God can do a work on our heart, then then what we do with our finances will last. But if we don't get our heart right, you can work on changing your habits and still have the same problems. You can work on changing your actions but still have the same challenges. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to start deeper and then we're going to come back to the surface. And next week we're going to do is we're going to talk about how money talks to us and how money tells us lies. Because the truth is, many of us are being lied to by money. You don't hear your money talking to you. Like You don't hold up George or Benjamin and, and listen to them. But money tells us lies. And those lies get in the way. And it's going to be a really fun series. One of the things I'm really excited about is on November the 11th, we're going to have a special guest. And his name is John Putnam. John became a friend of mine about three years ago. And he wrote a book called He Spends, She Spends. It's about how money impacts your marriage, how money impacts your relationships. And part of this challenge is if you're married, if you're here with somebody today, it isn't just you and money. It's them and money and y'all with money. That's why it's so complicated and hard. And so John is going to talk to us about that. And he's even been willing to come out a night early. And on Saturday night, November 10th, we're going to have an event called a date night at our roster campus. It's going to be a night of food, fun, and a light look at a heavy topic. And so when you leave today, you can go out to the lobby at the Belong table. You can sign up and pay for that. It's $15 for a single, $30 for a couple, and child care is provided as part of that. Uh, we've only got 75 seats. I think we'll sell out pretty quickly. Um, it says single because it says date night because it's a fun title. But if you're single, you're welcome to come too. Uh, we'll have plenty of room for you there as well. And so we're excited for that coming next month. Before we go today, I have a couple next steps I want to share with you. And the first one is this. I'd encourage you this week when you go to bed and you have worry and anxiety and control to follow those breadcrumbs and say, what are those things that are causing me those feelings and to pay attention to those because those are the places you want to invite God to deal with. Follow the breadcrumbs. Number two, I want to encourage you to examine your recent financial disagreements through the lens of this is about that. 
Some of you are like, it wasn't about the dishes. I know, it's a crazy thought that it wasn't about the dishes. But go back to that last fight you had about finances and ask yourself, is it really about this or is it really about that? And see if you can learn something there. And then number three, I want to encourage you to invite God. This is a scary prayer. To reveal the issues behind your money issues. Here's the thing I've discovered. Many of us are where we are with God because we made a choice to be Gandalf. You know that scene from Lord of the Rings where he takes his staff and he slams it down. And he says, you shall not. And some of us have decided that God can have all of our lives except for our money. Some of us have decided God can have all of our lives except for 90% of our money. And what I've discovered is that God does not take partial gifts. Jesus didn't come and give part of his life. He gave everything. And when he invites us to follow him, like he did with that rich young man, he invites us to lay it all down. And one of the things I've discovered is that this, this is often the hardest thing to let go. And our hope in this different kind of money series is that we can listen to how money talks to us and we can talk about money, not so that you can give more to this church, but so that you can experience the life God gave his life for you to find. That would be the win. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.